Thank you, Kaysen and Band. Don't you appreciate these guys? They do a great job every week. And they take it very seriously. Uh, before we get to the message, uh, I'd like for us to do something. So uh, we live in a free country, and that's not by accident. It takes men and women willing to put their lives on the line and serve our country. And uh, I don't know about you, but I count it a blessing to live in a free country. And so if you did not know, Veterans Day was recent, uh, happened recently, but we would like to honor our veterans here at Downtown Church. So if you are a veteran, would you mind just standing so we can honor you at this time? Thank you. We thank you for your service. Yeah. Thank y'all. Seriously, thank you. If you have a copy of God's Word, I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. As you're turning there, I, I want to give you kind of our thesis for today, and we're going to put this up on the screen here. Here's, here's the idea, the big idea for today. God has worked in days past. God is at work today. God has worked in days past. God is at work today. So in my uh, personal uh, time with the Lord, I, I'm reading through the Old Testament right now. I'm doing a chronological Bible reading plan. It, by the way, if you've never done that, I recommend it. it. It's really interesting to see how the scriptures unfold in that chronological order. But I'm reading through the Old Testament. And as I'm reading through the Old Testament, as you're well aware, there's just these crazy stories of God doing these amazing things throughout uh, the whole Old Testament, like David and Goliath. That's pretty crazy. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Daniel in the lion's den. Manna in the wilderness. And you just see that all throughout his word. And then you get to the New Testament and you still see some pretty amazing things that God does. You see Jesus performing miracles. You see the disciples performing miracles. You see the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit of God falls on his people and indwells his people initially. You read stories like in the book of Acts where the apostles are in prison and an angel of the Lord comes down and opens the prison's doors and they just walk on out. And so we, we can read those stories and we can hear those stories and maybe if we're being honest, maybe we think to ourselves, I wish God would do that kind of stuff today. I wish God was at work today like he was back then. If that's where you are, I'd like to offer an encouragement to you. Once again, that idea, God has worked in days past. God is at work today. And we're going to celebrate that today. But before we approach God's word, I'm actually going to ask us to, to go to the Lord in prayer. And we're going to invite the Lord to remind us through his word that he is very much at work in this world and in this church today. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, your name is power. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your character, your might has not changed and Lord, we celebrate the fact that you are working in this world today. We celebrate the fact that you are working in this church 
today. But Lord, we ask that you would remind us through your word this morning that you are very much at work. It is in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So all of those stories that we just referenced, that's not what every day looked like for the early New Testament church. Oftentimes, what the church experienced and how the church experienced God's working was through ordinary ways, seemingly ordinary ways of God's grace in their day-to-day lives. And we're going to see in the text today that God does those same things today. I want to give you a little bit of background about today's text. So uh, Paul is writing this letter, or he wrote this letter, to the church in Thessalonica. Now, prior to Paul writing this letter, Paul arrives in Thessalonica. He's a missionary, okay? And Thessalonica, if you don't know, it was the capital of the Roman province of Macedonia. And so it's a large city. There's a port right there. There's people everywhere, highly populated. And the religion of their day there in Thessalonica was what we would call Greek mythology, okay? So Zeus, Hermes, Apollo, Athena, all of those and more, the pantheon of Greek little g gods and little g goddesses, they were worshiping those gods and those goddesses, those false gods and goddesses. So when Paul arrives as a missionary in Thessalonica, there's no Christians. There's no church at all. And so Paul rolls into town and he starts preaching about Jesus. And he starts telling people, hey, God loved you so much, he sent Jesus. And he preaches the gospel. And many come to faith in Jesus. And then over the next several months, more people are coming to faith in Jesus. And the word is getting out about this Jesus movement, this gospel that Paul is proclaiming, that the church is proclaiming. But the the city was not having it. They were not happy at all. In fact, an angry riot forms in the middle of town, and they drag out the guy that was hosting Paul, and they're threatening him, and they're threatening the church. And Paul ends up moving on out of Thessalonica to continue spreading the message of the gospel. But after he leaves, he's concerned. He's concerned for the church. He knows that the church is what you might call baby Christians. He was only with them for a period of several months. And then he leaves, and now they're in a hostile environment. Their their neighbors, their co-workers, even their families are basically exiling them in their own hometowns. And so Paul sends a trusted friend, a brother in Christ named Timothy. And if you don't know, Timothy was a co-laborer in the gospel. And so Timothy gets there, and he's, he's there to see how they're doing, to check on these Christians And so he goes, he finds out, and he comes back to Paul and says, let me tell you what's going on in Thessalonica. And that's what today's text is all about. So we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we're going to see how God was at work in the church in Thessalonica. So let's go to God's word together. If you would stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 5. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us 
as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. We're going to divide today's text into three sections just to kind of help us understand what's going on. So we're going to call this first section the reality of a tempter. The reality of a tempter. Look at verse 5. Paul says, For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Okay, so Paul is writing to the church and he acknowledges that there's something in their presence. He calls this presence a tempter, the tempter. And who's the tempter he's referring to? It's Satan. He's referring to the demonic realm that was at work in and around the church there in Thessalonica. If you don't know this, hear this. Satan's still at work today. He really is. Satan was at work in Paul's day, in the church in Thessalonica's day, and he's very much at work today. And I want to give you a few quick facts about this tempter that God's word offers us. Here's one. Satan is real. Okay? He really is real. 1 Peter 5, 8 describes Satan as a prowling lion. He's roaming around the earth looking for someone to devour. And not only is he real, he's powerful. Ephesians chapter 6 describes that we need the armor of God, which, by the way, if you're a Christian, you have access to the armor of God. Now, here's the thing. You don't need armor unless there's danger, right? We need the armor of God because there's a dangerous, real enemy at work in our world today. And what's his goal? His aim is to inflict damage to you and your family. John's Gospel, chapter 10, Jesus teaches us what is the devil's goal. It is to steal, kill, and destroy, right? That's what he wants to do. So he's real, he's powerful, his aim is to inflict damage on you and your family, in our community, our world. But the Bible doesn't stop there in teaching us about this devil. Praise God, he was defeated through the resurrection He is being defeated through the Spirit at work in the church today, and he will be defeated throughout eternity. Amen. Praise God. Make no mistake. Satan really is strong. He really is real. He really is at work in our world today. But our God is stronger. We have victory in Jesus. That's not just an old hymn. That's an old hymn of truth. We have victory in Christ. So when we think about demons and when we think about Satan, when we think about the demonic realm, there's really one of two ditches that we can find ourselves falling into. Uh, There was an author by the name of C.S. Lewis that talks about these two ditches. So he wrote a book. He wrote a lot of books. He wrote this one book called The Screwtape Letters. And in The Screwtape Letters, he talks about these two ditches. I want to share with you a quote from this book. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. 
Okay, do you see the two ditches? One ditch is to basically say, you know what? Eh, Satan's not real. He's not that big of a threat if he is real. And we think we can ignore Satan in the demonic realm. That's a ditch. That's a ditch you don't want to be in. It's a mistake for us, church, to think that Satan does not want to attack our families. It's a mistake to think that Satan's not actively trying to tempt you and attack you today. He's got a plan, and he's working it. He's smart, and he's powerful. We need to be aware of his presence. So that's one ditch to be like, ah, Satan's not real. The other ditch is to be consumed with this idea of the demonic realm. To be consumed with fear. As C.S. Lewis puts it, to, be, uh, to have an excessive and unhealthy interest in the demonic realm. So neither one of those are healthy approaches when it comes to spiritual warfare. So there really is a devil, Satan. He really is powerful and he really is at work. But we need to clearly understand, church, nowhere in God's word does it say to live in fear because of the demonic realm. For those who are in Christ, nowhere does it say, look out for the demons, look out for the devil, he's going to get you, like that sign on the road says <laughs> on 65, y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> nowhere does it say that we need to live in fear of the devil if we are in Christ. So we see here in Paul's letter that this is something that the church was dealing with. There was a tempter, a fair question here is how did the church withstand such a powerful foe? How did these baby Christians stand up against the devil? It's an interesting thought. He doesn't go into detail about how they combated the devil here, but can I offer you a text from the book of James? It's a succinct and powerful promise for God's people about standing up to the devil. Look at this, James chapter 4 verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's powerful, church. If we will submit ourselves to God, and if we will resist the devil, you know what the devil's going to do? He's going to flee. He will go away, and that is truly fascinating. And it's not because you're so scary, and it's not because you're so strong, and it's not because you're so stubborn that Satan's like, I'm giving up. That's not the reason. The reason is greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Years ago, uh, my dad took our family to a Mardi Gras parade just a few blocks from here, actually. And so I'm, I'm a little scrawny 11, 12-year-old kid, and... Uh, they were, the, the floats were going by, and they threw out this one thing. I think it was a stuffed animal. I don't remember, but they threw out this one thing, and so I, I, I run, and I grab it, and I latch onto it. And there were other people trying to get there, too. There was a grown man that was trying to grab it right after I grabbed it. And I grabbed it, and I was holding it, and he looks at me, and I thought he was going to beat me up. He just kind of bowed up to me like, boy. And a, a couple of seconds later, I notice he's looking over my shoulder, and he starts backing up and walks away. I'm like, yeah, what of it? And then I turn around, my dad was standing there. And I was like, oh, that makes a little more sense. Here's the thing. If we, church, 
will resist the devil. He will flee. And it's not because you're strong. It's not because you're stubborn. It's because we have a very strong God. Satan cannot go toe-to-toe with our God. And you have access to his power and his presence inside of you through the spirit of God who has indwelt you as a follower of Jesus. And we can latch on to that truth. So there is a tempter. But Paul receives a good report about how the church is interacting with this temper. So let's look at Timothy's good report. Look at verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. Okay, so Paul, if you recall, he's, he's missing the church right here. A few months prior, Paul had been run out of town. He's concerned. He knows that Satan is at work in Thessalonica. A lot is going on, and he's genuinely concerned. So he sends Timothy. Timothy comes back with this good report, and the first thing that Paul mentions from Timothy's report is this. They possess faith and love. Look at that verse again, verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love. Paul knows there's a tempter. He knows that Satan's got a strategy. He knows that Satan's got an army of demonic forces at work there in the city of Thessalonica. And Paul is encouraged by their faith. Why was he encouraged by their faith? Look at Hebrews 11.1. 1. It gives us a clue why. This is the definition of faith, by the way. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So Paul's thinking about what's going on. And he's thinking about these specific faces. He's thinking about these specific families. And Paul's encouraged Because he gets the report that not only are they making it, but they've got faith. They've got assurance. They've got conviction. They really believed this stuff. The seed of the gospel that Paul had planted was sprouting and it was bearing fruit. They really believed that Jesus was the Son of God. They really believed that Jesus was the the long-awaited Messiah, the Rescuer. They really believe that Jesus lived a sinless life. They really believe that Jesus died on the cross. And not only did he die on the cross, his sinless, spotless blood paid for their sin. They really believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that he walked out of his own grave. And they really believed, and you'll see this theme throughout 1 Thessalonians, that Christ will return. He will return. They had assurance And they had conviction despite demonic forces. They had assurance and they had conviction despite sufferings and hardships they were facing. How about you? Where are you? You need to think about that. Where are you personally with that? Do you have assurance? Do you have conviction? Even though the devil attacks Even though really hard days come, do you have an assurance and do you have a conviction that will stand even when the storms of life come? 
I pray you do. And you know what? You can. If you don't have that, you can starting today by following Jesus. He goes on in verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love. So they possessed faith, but they also possessed love. Now, this is interesting because keep in mind the climate of what's going on there in Thessalonica. Right now, for them, as they're reading this letter, they're surrounded by people praying to false gods. They're surrounded by people worshiping these false gods. They're surrounded by neighbors and family members and co-workers that literally hate them because they name Christ. I can only imagine that these Christians are, are called names all the time. I can only imagine as a father with kids in that setting that maybe my kids are getting bullied. Maybe they're getting threats. Maybe my family doesn't feel safe. Maybe their businesses are suffering. Life is hard for these Christians that Paul is writing to. And yet Timothy reports back to Paul that these Christians were known for their faith and love. That's what they were known for in the midst of that turmoil. In the midst of that hatred, in the midst of that persecution, they were known for love. It's easy to love people that love us, right? Maybe you've got close family, good friends. Maybe you've got some support in your life. Maybe you've got people you're going to spend Christmas with this year that you know love you. It's easy enough to love them. It's a lot harder to love people that hate you. It's a lot harder to love people that revile you, that treat you poorly, that treat you badly, that have wronged you. And yet, that's what this church was known for. This church was known for loving, unlovable people. And church, this is absolutely possible for us. And not only is it possible, it's commanded of us. Let me show you a verse from 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Church, what that means is we are able to love people that treat us badly. We are able to love people who do not care for us. We are able to love people who have hurt us. Not because it's from me, not because it's from you. This is not a matter of willpower. This is a matter of supernatural power working in you and through you. Because love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God. We're able to do that because of the work he does in us. He was doing that in Thessalonica, and he still does that in the church today. Paul points out something else that he learns from Timothy's report. They possessed that faith and love, but there was a sincere love for the brethren. Look at verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. Okay, so Paul's writing in this letter and he's saying, I know we can't wait to see each other. I know you are longing to see us and we are longing to see you. That, that's really what Christian love is supposed to look like. 
You, you genuinely want to be around these people. Uh, years ago, I was a student pastor in the Birmingham area. And about nine years ago, uh, we felt very strongly that the Lord was leading me and my family to Mobile. And so we moved down here uh, to do ministry. And when we left, it was hard in some ways because we had a really tight-knit community there in Birmingham. And so one of my former students invited me to their wedding. And so I, I drive up to Birmingham recently, and I go to the wedding, and it did my heart more good than I thought it would. Because when I, I walked in this church, I, I saw people that I haven't seen in almost a decade. And these were people that me and Allison, my, my wife, we, we loved dearly, still love dearly. And I, I can tell you so many stories where we laughed a lot. I can tell you so many stories where we cried a lot with these brothers, with these sisters. They prayed for us before we had our firstborn son. They packed our pantry when we moved into a new house. Just so many memories. And when I saw their faces, it, it was one of those surreal moments like, wow, I, I needed this. It is so good to see them. And I really think that's what Paul's describing here. He's saying, we long to see you guys. Y'all long to see us. There is a Christian love. And Paul notes, it's not just for us. You have a love for the brethren. And he gives glory to God. If you read in the second letter that he wrote to this church, he, he says, hey, you have this, and that love is increasing. And that's coming from God. In fact, check out this text here, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3 reads, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. So Paul says, hey, you're loving each other well, and you're growing in that love. Who should we give thanks to for that? God, right? We should give thanks to God for that, is what Paul is saying. So Paul is seeing this take place in the church. And as I was reading this and as I was studying this, if, if I could, I'd love to offer a report for what I'm seeing here at Downtown Church. So my wife Allison and I, we've been here for almost a year and a half. And what we have witnessed over the last year and a half is a church that loves well. We really have. And not only have we seen that, we've seen the love increasing. I can say that with all sincerity, in all integrity. I can let you know I see the love increasing. And who gets the glory for that? It's not Pastor Allen. It's not me. It's not Kaysen. It's not Jacob. It's not our life group leaders. It's none of us. This is the Lord doing a work in his people, church. Let's keep loving. Let's keep allowing the Lord to grow us in that love. And let's finally consider what was Paul's response to all of this, to hearing of the Lord's working in the church there in Thessalonica. Look at verses 7 and 8 of chapter 3. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. So Paul and his co-laborers, they experienced a lot of distress and affliction. 
Like that was just a norm for them. When they were doing ministry and they were traveling, spreading the gospel, it was not uncommon for Paul to be run out of town. It was not uncommon for Paul to be whipped and beaten and spat upon and cussed at. That, that's just what Paul experienced. And it was one thing for Paul for him to experience that. But when he thought of these brothers, when he thought of these sisters experiencing these same afflictions, when he thought of them being treated that way, it was hard for Paul to think about. Because he's thinking of specific names. He's thinking of specific people and specific families with kids. People he shared meals with. People he stayed the night with. People he led to Christ. People he discipled. People he loved and was continuing to love. And the thought of them experiencing those afflictions was hard. But there was something that brought Paul comfort in the midst of that, in the midst of that lament and sorrow that he was feeling. Check out verse 8. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Standing fast. Those words standing fast, it's, it's a military term. And the, the picture that's being painted that Paul is using there, he's saying, hey, this is like a military that forms a line and says, nope. We're not going to move. We're here. Even though the enemy's coming, we're here. We're not going anywhere. And Paul's saying, hey, church, you're doing this. You're standing fast, but note where they're standing fast. Look at that verse again. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. This church had a rock-solid foundation, a rock-solid footing. And once again, this was not a matter of willpower. This was not a matter of personal stubbornness, of type A personalities. That's not what this was. This was a work of the Lord and God's people in the church in Thessalonica. And they were not budging. They were not moving, although the enemy was attacking. Although they're surrounded by pagan gods. Although they're hated by friends and family. They didn't budge. Paul speaks of this supernatural foundation in his letter to the church at Ephesus. Check out Ephesians 2, verse 19, which reads, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. There's a lot we could talk about right there, but can we just celebrate the fact that we have a very firm, solid foundation. It was laid by the prophets, it was laid by the apostles, and at the cornerstone of it all is Christ. Christ is our firm foundation. Let me say that again. Christ is our firm foundation. Amen, church? We have this. We have this in Christ. No matter what comes, no matter what demonic forces come against us, no matter if cancer comes, no matter if bankruptcy comes, no matter if anything this world throws at us comes, we have Christ. We have a very firm and solid foundation. And you know what? God has worked 
in days past. And praise God, he's still at work today. I pray that brings you comfort and joy this morning. I pray that as you think about the church in Thessalonica, you're comforted, knowing that the same God that the church in Thessalonica prayed to and worshipped is the same God you pray to. The same Jesus that the church in Thessalonica followed, same Jesus. The same spirit that was at work in his people is actually at work here at Downtown Church. Amen? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes at this time. We're going to enter into a time of response. I would encourage you to consider how you might need to respond Maybe today you realize you don't have that assurance. You don't have that conviction. Today, today can be the day of salvation for you. We're going to have some pastors down front. We would love to pray with you. Lord, we are so grateful for your word. We're grateful for how sharp it is. We're grateful that it's living and active, and we're so grateful that it's more than a historical account of your church. It is that. But it's also a testament of how you work in your people still today. You are worthy of all glory and honor and praise. And it's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.